May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Over the past few weeks, we've been hearing stories about unlikely people. People who would not be thought worth emulating, but Jesus says the opposite. He holds them up as examples for us to follow. We had the Samaritan, a foreigner who followed a different religious expression that at the time in the mainstream was sort of seen as a perversion of faith. And Jesus holds up this Samaritan leper for us to follow. Then, last week, we had the widow. A widow who had no property and no rights. There was nothing to be gained by giving her favors. And yet, Jesus holds up this widow and says, Be like her. And today, we hear in our Gospel about the tax collector. Now, life 2,000 years ago wasn't so different from today. No one likes the tax man. But that's who Jesus holds up for us and says, this is who you should be like. Meditating and praying on this week's gospel and thinking about the past few weeks, I saw a common thread of sincerity that was woven through each of these stories. This idea that it's more about the quality of our hearts and the intentions behind our actions than if we do them right, or, or, or then our verbosity or our understanding of the right way. As Kathy said last week, being our full, true selves in the presence of God is more important than what we think are the proper and right trappings. Whether it's gratitude in the case of the Samaritan, persistence that we saw in the widow, or humility that we will read about today, it's more about the quality of our hearts than the fineness of our words or actions or backgrounds. In this morning's passage from Luke that we just heard, Jesus tells a parable about two different people to highlight the need that we have for humility. And not the kind of humility that says, you know, one thing that I'm so proud about is how humble I am. It's not that. A humility that acknowledges who we are in this world. First, let's take a look at the people that Jesus was speaking to and telling this parable to. The Gospel writer says that he was speaking to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. He's directing his comments towards people who found their holiness through negative comparisons towards others. People who declared themselves saintly and looked down on the people around them because somehow in their mind they didn't quite measure up. They didn't quite know the right way to do things or they weren't quite the way that they should have been. And we can be harsh in speaking about these people, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we can admit that understanding ourselves in comparison to others is something that we do frequently. It's always a temptation that is with us. 
we desire some sort of metric to appraise where we stand before God and others. And there's always this longing to make ourselves feel good. I mean, who doesn't like to feel good about themselves? You know, this spiritual life and journey that we embark on is so nebulous, there aren't distinct measures of it that it's easy to turn to comparison and say, you know, at least I'm not like that person over there. And these are the people that Jesus is speaking to. These are the parts of ourselves that Jesus is speaking to this morning. So he tells them a story about two people. And the first person that he mentions is a Pharisee. Now, whenever I hear about a Pharisee, I imagine that that is where the invitation is for us to enter the story. Pharisees in our tradition have sort of received a bad rep. They were the ones who were trying to follow all the rules, and they kept getting in trouble with Jesus because Jesus was saying, it's not about rules, it's about being loved. But in reality, they were people trying to figure out how to live according to God's law in the everydayness of their lives. They were reacting to all of the religious elites who were actually profiting off of people's faith and turning it on to a business. And so they said, no, we want it to be about how we live today and tomorrow and the next day. We hear them arguing about the right and the wrong way to do things, and Jesus pushes against that frequently, but they do this because they want to live in right relationship with God and each other. There were people striving to be holy in ways that are similar to how you and I strive to live holy lives. Then you have the other person, and he couldn't be more opposite. He's a tax collector. Now these days we joke about the IRS, there are countless sitcom plots about somebody being audited by the IRS for fudging their taxes, so much so that it's a trope. You know, no one likes the tax person, but in the ancient world, it was more than this. A tax collector worked for a corrupt, immoral puppet king of the Roman Empire. Tax collectors took their pay out of what they collected from people, and it wasn't exactly regulated as to how much they could charge. So they were seen to be profiting from their friends and their neighbors and their country people and exploiting for their own benefit. They were betrayers of their people who profited off of the betrayal. So two people. One, a person whom everyone would have considered righteous, and the other, someone who profited off of their own people in the name of an unjust and immoral regime. And just hearing the story, hearing these two people, hearing that it was going to be about their prayers, the original hearers would automatically assume, okay, we're going to be told to be like the Pharisee, and we can all say how evil the tax collector is. But that's not what he does. As he does so often, Jesus turns our expectations on their head and says, no, it's about something else. He raises up the outsider. He brings in those who are on the margins. He tells us about the Pharisee's prayer. The Pharisee who begins with comparison, thank you, God, I'm not like those people over there. The Pharisee who justifies himself through belittling others. 
The sole reason he says why he is good is because he's not like other people. He has fallen into the trap of comparison. Then the Pharisee justifies himself by listing all the things that he does. He fasts. He gives 10% of his income. And the problem isn't that the Pharisee does these things. Rather, that it, he eliminates his need for God. He has no need for the divine or the sacred if he can justify himself and make himself righteous. Then we have the other person, the despicable tax collector, the person who isn't better than anyone else, the person who doesn't do anything right. And he simply says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His words are a simple and sincere expression of his need for God. It's his acknowledgement of his dependence on divine mercy and grace. It's all about humility. It's all about being humble. Of course, in our tradition, the great Christian virtue is love. It's what comes before everything else, but I would argue that the second most important virtue that we have is humility. Something we hear from Jesus again and again, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It's humility. And humility, at its core, is an admission of our need for God and for others. That's what it is. The virtue that places us into proper perspective. But it's what allows us to see correctly that we are creatures dependent upon the Creator and the other creatures around us. Humility loudly proclaims this. We are dependent upon God for grace and mercy and justice. God who is closer than our own breath, the one in whom we live and move and have our being the sacred substance of our soul, the one whom without we are nothing. Humility also proclaims sort of a horizontal message, that others are not there to make ourselves feel good. Others are there because we need them. How are we Christ's body without the other members? How are we servants without people to serve? How do we exist without the interbeing of relationships that we have in our lives? Trinity Church is not a collection of buildings, but a group of people who come together each week. We, as humans, are beings in relationship. I mean, just consider our primary way of defining ourselves. It's through relations. We are mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and friends and partners and employees and bosses and spouses. Who we are is said to who we are in relation to others. Even the most astute business person wouldn't be successful without clients or the people who manufacture the products or the people that transport those products, or the builders of the infrastructure that makes that transportation possible. We are nothing without each other. 
and that's what humility is. And so, when Jesus says this, when he admonishes us to be humble, it's not some sort of mental exercise of beating ourselves up. It's not some psychological self-flagellation. It's just this sincere acknowledgement of our need for God and each other. My dear friends, this is the life that we're called to, to live into that reality and that truth. Not a life of making our, of ourselves feel good at the expense of others, not to live in isolation, not to claim that we are who we are because we're somehow a self-creation, but to align ourselves, our beings, our actions, our words, with the reality that Jesus sets before us, that we need each other and that we need God. To walk humbly each and every day 